Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's another of those strange stories where the moment I heard about this case, I knew I wanted to share it with you. It takes us to the south coast of England sailing community, where one man had a dream of a new future, an amazing new boat, and a seeming stroke of luck, which appeared to create an opportunity for that to happen. But of course, it wasn't quite that simple. This podcast is sponsored by Best Fiends. I love autumn, don't you? Seeing the trees change colour and lots of crisp, lovely long walks with my dogs. To let your brain feel those lovely autumn feelings all the time, download Best Fiends now. I've told you about Best Fiends for months now, so if you haven't played yet, firstly, why not? You'll love it. It's a great game where you collect lots of cute characters who help you on your journey. On the way, you solve fun puzzles which really engage your brain. I love the bright and colourful gameplay. And with my dreadful internet coverage here, Best Fiends is amazing for me as you don't need the internet to play. And of course, it isn't just a game that you play on your own. I play with friends and family all over the world, which always gets super competitive, as you can imagine. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Before we begin, let's set some context for today's story with our guest of the month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was Pink, Just Like a Pill. In the US, it was Dilemma from Nelly, featuring Kelly Noland, Roland, Noland, Roland. And in Australia, the top album was the Eminem show from, well, Eminem. In the news this month, the first public version of the web browser Firefox was released. In golf, unlike the European capitulation recently, goodness me, did you watch it? Europe beat the US team at the Belfry. The actor, Michael Elphick, died. And in UK true crime news, police confirmed that human remains found in Woodland in North Hampshire were those of Amanda Millie Dowler, who had gone missing in Surrey six months previously. Levi Belfield would later be convicted of her murder. Did you get the month and year? It was September 2002. Okay, let's get on with our story. The press conference hosted by the police was a sombre affair. The family of a 70-year-old amateur sailor who went missing while selling his boat said that they believed he was dead. 70-year-old Robert Saint, a retired timber yard manager, had not been seen for almost a week since he left his home in West Sussex to meet a potential buyer for his £120,000 boat, Sundowner. He didn't return home that evening, which was totally out of character. The boat was berthed at Burden Pool near Chichester on England's south coast, not far from Portsmouth, 
At the news conference, family friend Cynthia Folks spoke on behalf of Robert's relatives, including his son Glenville. She said, Over the past few days, we've had to come to terms with the sad reality that we are probably looking for a body. We know that if Bob was alive, he'd have made contact long before now. We have to know what happened to him and where he is now. I would urge anyone with any information regarding that last journey on Sundowner to contact the police urgently. Detectives revealed that Robert's boat was found at nearby Itchner, with no trace of Robert, but bloodstains were found in the galley. Tests were still being carried out to see if the blood was Robert's, but they were confident that it was. Witnesses claimed to have seen the boat, a 42-foot motor cruiser, leaving Burdham on Thursday. The boat was seen passing East Head near Wittering in West Sussex and was later spotted just down the coast in Portsmouth and was then found moored in nearby Itchner. Detective Chief Inspector Tony O'Donnell, who was leading the investigation, said he was sure that Robert Saint had been murdered and not that he had taken his own life. He said it was suspicious that the buyer of the boat, who Robert had gone to meet, promised to pay for the sundowner in cash. He said, We do not think this was a professional killing. We have looked at the background of Mr Saint, and he appears to have been a charming old gentleman who was very well liked and respected, a person who played an important role in the community and who was involved in local amateur dramatics. There is nothing to suggest a suicide in this case. We feel that this is a homicide investigation. The detective further revealed that no weapon had been found on the boat and that more than 50 of his officers were involved in the inquiry. Robert Saint, or Captain Bob, as he was often known to those close to him due to his love for sailing in the sea, was, and look, I know it's a cliche on true crime podcasts, but he was a genuinely lovely and popular guy. He'd been successful in his business dealings which had allowed him and his family to live a very comfortable existence on the south coast. But just a year before his disappearance, his wife Pamela had died of a heart attack. Robert was devastated by this loss. And this was the reason he decided to sell the boat Sundowner, as he and Pamela had shared so many happy memories on the boat. Being on Sundowner alone just brought back so many memories for his late wife, And without her, well, it just wasn't the same. Shortly after the police press conference on September the 30th, a day tripper on the Isle of Wight found a wallet on a beach, which was later identified as Robert's. And it was on October the 9th that any remote hope for the family was extinguished, when a fossil hunter spotted a body on Sandown Beach, also on the Isle of Wight. They had found the body of Robert Saint. When the police arrived at the scene, they found that his beaten body was clothed only in black boxer shorts and socks. Two Tesco carrier bags were tied over his head and a yellow diver's knife was found around one wrist. What was very clear was this was no accident. Robert Saint had been murdered. A post-mortem revealed that the widower died of multiple head injuries. So just who would have wanted to kill a gentle amiable man like Robert, and why? 
Detectives already had a prime suspect. A local man, 44-year-old David McBride. If you have spent any time at all around marinas, you'll know that the sailing community are a very observant bunch. Maybe it's due to the value of their boats. And on the day that Robert Saint went missing, the sundowner was seen reversing from its mooring at Bird and Paul Marina, with McBride at the controls. When one person asked him where Robert was, McBride replied that he was the new owner. As he left the marina for the open sea, the boat was seen to knock into the side of a locked gate, certainly not something that would have happened had Robert, an accomplished seaman, been at the helm. Police also knew from witnesses that when the sundowner was moored later that day at nearby Itchner, McBride had again been at the helm. After Robert was reported missing by his son that evening, McBride was arrested and released without charge after denying any involvement in Robert's disappearance. But when the boat was searched, blood spots were found in the engine room and in the galley and they were soon shown to be a match to Robert's DNA profile. Detectives suspected that McBride had killed or seriously injured Robert before the boat even left its berthing explaining why it hit the lock on the way out to sea. But they needed evidence to show that he was responsible. Detectives wanted to speak to McBride again, and during a search of his home, they found tucked away in a desk drawer a diagram of the motor cruiser, the Sundowner. It was time for detectives to look much more closely at McBride and exactly what he had been doing on the day that Robert Saint disappeared. They asked him again if he'd killed Robert Saint and he denied it. He admitted contacting Robert about the Sundowner and agreeing to buy the vessel. It wasn't just for him, he said. He was buying it as a joint birthday stroke anniversary present for his wife. At first he'd given Robert a cheque for £119,000, but when that bounced, he'd arranged to meet him on the day that Robert disappeared to pay him cash. He told they'd arranged to meet at the marina to sort out the finances, and at the same time, McBride said that Robert had agreed to take him out that day for a spin in the boat, to get the hang of the controls and show him how the boat handled. This is why he'd been spotted by witnesses at the helm. He told detectives that he dropped off Robert safe and well when they moored in Portsmouth. Detectives were surprised by a number of parts of his explanation. In particular, how on earth he could lay his hands on almost £120,000 in cash. After all, even today, that sort of money can only usually be found by those well-connected business people who've secured government contracts during the Covid pandemic. McBride had a simple explanation. He told detectives that in his job as an £18,000 per year train conductor, He'd got unbelievably lucky when he found a holdall stuffed with used £50 notes on a train. He told how he couldn't believe his luck at the discovery, saying, When I found it, it was like quite a few Christmases rolled into one. I was on an early train from Bognor to London, Victoria. I was going through the empty train when I saw a holder on a rack. I opened it and saw a layer of money. I fell for the temptation. Detectives believed this to be utter nonsense, but McBride kept to the story. But once Robert's body had been found, 
but Bride altered his account of what had happened. He now said that he had sailed the boat through the lock and into the channel before he and Robert started to talk. He said, and I quote, He was up at the front talking to me. He mentioned something about one of the engine temperature gauges not being right. He disappeared out the back into the engine room. I was curious and left my seat. Somehow the boat seemed to get side onto the waves. It was choppy. It was rocking. I ended up on the floor. I came round and struggled down to the engine room where I noticed Bob on the floor. He was on his back. I checked for a pulse but there was nothing. That is when the panic started. I noticed some blood behind his head. I'm really squeamish. I tried to move him and as I did so the back of his head knocked into the engine. I tried to get my head together. All I could think was that I'd move the body and that would make it look a lot worse. I didn't think that anyone would believe me. I put a couple of Tesco bags over his head to stop the blood going all over the place. I managed to move him upstairs and over the side and I thought the problem would go away. McBride claimed that by this time he wished he'd never found the money on the train and so he tossed that too out of the boat and into the English Channel. Detectives delved into the background of David McBride, discovering that he was born and grew up in Colchester in Essex and left school aged 16 when he trained as a mechanic. From there he worked in the building trade before going to sea as a merchant seaman on board a coaster. His love of being on water would never leave him. And from there, life didn't go as he had dreamt it would, and he was involved in various minor crimes. But like so many criminals we discuss on this podcast, he wasn't the brightest, and actually he wasn't very good at crime, which isn't ideal if you're a criminal. For example, in 1985 he was convicted and fined for deception and theft. He had hired building equipment and then sold it at auction. Not the most sophisticated of crimes. Another appearance in 1992 saw him in front of the beak for stealing a driving licence. But although he had formed for this petty crime and deception, none of this pointed to a man who was capable of cold-blooded murder. Detectives examined his private life for clues. He had married young and had four children, but after splitting with his wife he moved to West Sussex and managed to get a regular job as a train conductor working for Connick South Central, through which he stumbled upon the money. He also met his second wife Catherine and they married and he helped bring up her two children from a previous relationship. The family lived just 20 minutes from Chichester Harbour in Bognor Regis and according to neighbours they were friendly and totally unexceptional in every way. But like so many middle-aged men and women who hadn't achieved their dreams, McBride was frustrated. He wanted more and still believed if he just got his break that he deserved then he could live in the sun the life that he'd always dreamed of. When he saw the sundowner, he knew that this was the boat he'd always wanted and sitting at his desk at home, he would draw pictures of it, almost feeling the sun and the wind on his face as he made his escape from his mundane life and background of petty crime. His plan was to go to Spain, leaving his wife and family behind. 
In the weeks before Robert was killed, all McBride could talk about to his friends was his dream of living abroad. One later said, that summed him up, grandiose dreams, fantasies and no money. But I never thought he was capable of killing. But there was just one problem. McBride already owed 75k in debts, including a 56k mortgage, £11,000 car loan and 10,000 debts to two building societies. And with his modest 18000 a year salary, he could never realistically afford to own the Sundowner. Detectives believed that violence and one major crime were, as he saw it, his only option. And Robert Saint, well, he was the innocent victim who stood in his way. They believed that McBride hit Robert with a heavy blunt weapon, possibly a starting handle, 16 times on the head, before dumping the body and the weapon overboard, and that Robert was probably dead before the sundowner left the marina on the day of Robert's disappearance. And so McBride was charged with murder. At his trial, which took place at Lewis Crown Court, David McBride pleaded not guilty to murder. He stuck to his story telling the jury that Robert Saint died when he accidentally fell against machinery in the engine room and hit his head. McBride said how the fatal injuries must have happened when he momentarily lost control of the vessel as it was suddenly rocked by waves. He told how when he found Robert unconscious in the engine room of the 42-foot yacht, he threw Robert's body into the sea because he feared no one would believe that he was not to blame. During cross-examination by prosecutor Camden Pratt, McBride was accused of making up his story and just telling lies. Pratt said to him, you are a liar and a killer of a decent man for whom you have shown no remorse from the moment you killed him to today. McBride's response, that is a load of rubbish. Forensic scientists gave evidence for the prosecution, saying that blood splatters found in the engine room and on McBride's trousers and shoes were caused when Robert Saint was attacked by McBride. But as always, The defence can always from somewhere dredge up some sort of expert, I use the term loosely, to support their argument. In this case, the defence expert told the court that the bloodstains could have been caused by other reasons, for example, if Robert had coughed. More potential support for McBride came from the revelation that Robert had suffered from dizzy spells after being diagnosed with labyrinthitis a condition affecting the inner ear, 30 years previously. Back in 1978, he broke a wrist after falling off a jetty, but it was unclear whether this accident was linked to his condition. Had this contributed to a fall, as McBride claimed? At the end of the evidence, the judge summed up the crux of the matter, saying, The sole issue in this case is, did the defendant kill Mr Saint, or was it, Or might it have been an accident? If you think the defendant's version of what happened on that day is or may be true, then you'll find him not guilty and that is the end of the case. If you are sure the defendant lied to you and the defendant attacked Mr Saint and intended to kill him or cause him really serious harm, then you'll find him guilty of murder. With this, the jury was sent out to reach their decision. And when they came back, 
it was clear that the jury didn't believe McBride's incredible tale, and after deliberating for just three and a half hours, they returned a unanimous verdict of guilty. Jailing him for life, the judge described Robert Saint's death as perhaps the most open and shut case of murder he'd ever come across. He told McBride that for this ultimate act of evil, the only sentence he could pass was life imprisonment. He said, The jury has convicted you on just about the clearest evidence of murder that could have possibly been presented in such a trial. We may never know why it was you chose to end the life of this 70-year-old man. He told McBride his horrendous and wicked act of violence had deprived Robert's son and friends of his life and valued company. Detective Chief Inspector Tony O'Donnell, who led the inquiry, said he was satisfied of the trial's outcome. He said of McBride, His crime was a callous act of greed and violence, and I am pleased the jury came to the correct and proper verdict. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Sometimes, well, in fact often, on this podcast, it's easy to dismiss some of the criminals as hmm, a bit thick, to say the least. Is that the case today? Surely due to the number of witnesses, it was impossible for McBride to ever get away with the crime. Was he not thinking straight? And was his mind on the future that he believed he was about to enjoy in Spain, rather than the murder that he was going to carry out? Maybe if he'd allowed Robert to take the helm out into the channel before killing him, he might have stood a chance. But, however we might speculate, the act is what he decided to do, and for this, he is rightly in jail for a long time. It is though hard not to feel for his wife and children, who had to hear during the trial that McBride was a deeply disillusioned and unhappy man who wanted to escape from them to start a new life in Spain. It must have been so tough and upsetting to hear. But of course, as always, our primary thoughts must lie with the victims of the crime, Robert Saint and his friends and family. At 70, after enjoying a full life, it's just so unfair that he was killed as he was selling his cherished boat, which brought back memories of his late wife, which was the only reason he was selling it. It's such a shame for those left behind. And once again, as we say so often on this podcast, such an utterly, utterly unnecessary death. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head over to the Facebook group. It's never dull. And to support the show and keep the 37th most popular UK true crime podcaster producing an episode every week and find more bonus episodes and other exclusive content, please do join me on Patreon. It's nothing like the Kings of Leon. It's enjoyable, original and fun. So just head there to patreon.com slash UK true crime. I'm afraid that's all I have time for this week. So I'm off to ponder a trip to a sauna in Rochdale, or maybe staying in Edinburgh with my new find, which you may have seen on my social media this week. I think for me, though, I will ultimately always be drawn to the glamour that is Rochdale.
Anyway, on that wet and somewhat steamy note, I will bid you farewell until next Tuesday. So until we speak again, do please take it easy, and most of all, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.